Throughout the book of Exodus, God has been revealing himself to his people. I mean, every step of the way from from his hearing their cries and their trouble to his powerfully saving them, bringing them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and protecting them and providing for them. He has been a God who's been present with his people all the way and revealing to them who he is. We read in Psalm 103 this morning, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. This is what we have been seeing in the book of Exodus. This is our God. And yet so often I, I find that though we have the word of God, we have these chapters in Exodus and many, many other scriptures that reveal him to us. Instead of going to God to know who he is, we all live by our own interpretation of God what he should be like, what we might want him to be like, what do we want him to do. These things shape how we go about our days and what we think of him. We're talking earlier this week with some folks, and it was kind of mentioned that a lot of times the way we look at God could be like the way that we look at at our parents or our father specifically. And Things like that, our experiences, our lives often are what shape the way that we look at God. Our desires. We want comfort, then we want a God who, who uh, gives us that comfort. Or we want a God who lets us have control of our lives. But God, God is sovereign. And so there are many ways that... that our view of God is, is shaped by the world around us, is colored by the, the desires in our heart, the, the idols that we worship that block our vision and keep us from seeing who he is and what he says. And so this morning, I want to encourage you as we learn once more about who God is. What does he say? What is his own testimony about himself that we would set aside our pictures of God and let his word show us who he is and let us be surprised by his goodness. That he is the most, he is really the only truly kind and generous and loving and fair person that there is. And ask ourselves as we look at who God is, is this how I see God? If you would turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33, uh, for context, Exodus chapter 33 takes place in the aftermath of Israel's rebellion. 
This is a time when, when, when they, they strayed. They did not look at God the way that they ought. They wanted a God that they could see. And so they erected an idol. And God has shown mercy. He's not going to wipe them off the face of the earth. But Israel is in a place where they are unsure of what to do or where to go or what is God going to do. But in the midst of this situation, Exodus chapter 33, verse 11 tells us, thus the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Through all that went on, Moses had a relationship with God, a friendship with God that led him to come to God in this situation, to talk to God and to share his heart with God. And in the midst of their their back and forth, heart to heart conversation that we see taking place in Exodus uh, 33, verse 12 to 15, Moses tells God that he really can't go on without him. He's like, are you going to leave me? You can't. I, I need you. And God reassures Moses that he will not leave him. He listens to Moses, the scripture tells us, because he loved him as a friend and he knew him by name. Exodus 33, verse 17. He knew him by name. He was a friend to him. They weren't just passing acquaintances on the street. And God God reassures Moses in his doubts. It's a wonderful thing to hear. And a reminder to us of of the longing that Moses had in his heart for God. He was desperate that God would not leave him. He longed to see God. He asked God in verse 18, show me your glory. Is this the way that we live our lives? That we come to God through Jesus Christ, that we share our hearts with him, that we want to see who he is. We want to hear what he has to say to us. This was Moses' heart, heart for God. Moses hungers for God and God responds. And he gives us in Exodus chapter 33, verses 19 to 23. And again, in chapter 34, he gives us this taste of who he is. When Moses asks, show me your glory, God responds In Exodus 33, verse 19, by saying, 
I will make my goodness pass before you. Those are amazing words. Before anything else, what does God want us to know about his glory? What does he want you to know about who he is? He wants us to know that he is good. That means that he is he is fair. He does the right thing. He is kind and generous. Good people do good things and give good gifts. And he is true and faithful. He's not good one day and not good the next. But he's good all the time. When you think about the glory of God, how Amazing he is, how valuable, how awesome, how glorious he is. Do you think of the word goodness? That's how God sums up his glory. As a reminder that he is the farthest thing from evil that you could ever imagine. He is totally good. Completely generous and fair. And that one statement is just a, a little foretaste of what this passage goes on to tell us. We go on to read that that. God has mercy on whom you'll have mercy and compassion on whom you'll have compassion. And, and those words, at, at, on one glance, we could go, oh, that's scary. He, he decides, but what is he trying to point out here? He's talking about his mercy. He's talking about his compassion. And this is a good God speaking. This is a God that you can trust. A God who does the right thing, who does the generous thing, who shows great love to people. He is a merciful God, compassionate God. And this, this view of God, this glimpse of his goodness leads us to chapter 34, when God comes before Moses. And this is what he declares in Exodus 34, verses 5 to 7. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. This is who he is. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Combine all that God reveals about himself here. And you have an overflowing picture of grace and a God who is good. 
We're told that God is merciful and gracious. That he is merciful means that he does not count our sins against us, though that is what we deserve. And by gracious he bestows, he grants us favor. He gives us gifts that we do not deserve. He is slow to anger. He's not waiting to pounce on our every failure. Okay? Me, the instant you mess up, I'm watching. I'm just kidding. But that's the way our hearts are when somebody offends us. We're quick to anger. In the old days, you had your pistol, Colt 45, and that was ready to be drawn at any moment. We do that in our hearts. We're quick to pull the trigger on someone. But God is slow to anger. Dane Ortland, in chapter 16 of Gentle and Lowly, the book we're doing in our Bible study, talks about this passage, and he mentions that in many passages of Scripture, we're told God is provoked to anger. The word provoked means there is a, there is a just cause for that anger. It's not willy-nilly. It's, it's not um, on a whim that God judges people. He is provoked to anger. There's a reason, a just reason for it. And there is a much patience with God. Many opportunities to repent. But God never needs, or we're never told that he needs to be provoked to kindness. Just, just do enough, be good enough, and then God will be kind. That's not what the Bible says. What we're told in this passage is, is he is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It's not something that he holds back for those that are the best. But it's something that he gives in abundance to all. The word steadfast love in Hebrew is the word hesed. It's a word that is a term of covenant love, enduring love. The point here is that this was God's commitment to his people. And God is a God who keeps his promises, who is faithful to his word. He is faithful. He is abounding in faithfulness, the text tells us, so that we would know that, that God's love is overflowing and that it doesn't run out and that it doesn't have a timer on it. He keeps steadfast love for thousands. His love doesn't expire. The idea here isn't 1,001, too bad for you. But rather that God's love reaches to all generations and to all peoples. God's love is not like our love. We like to love when someone is good to us, kind to us. But his love was a love that was towards enemies. 
His love shows us a king willing to die to save his sworn enemies from destruction. God's love is so amazing. His grace is so abundant. We need to see the goodness of God, that he is a generous God. That's who he is. And so that's why he gives grace to Israel when they worship idols. And again and again and again, he gives them the opportunity to turn to him. And he is calling for us to come to him. And he would show us his love. It's who he is. At the same time, at the very end, we're, we're reminded that God is, is not like us in another sense. That he's not the kind of fickle or lenient judge who just lets people do whatever they want to do. He cares about goodness and, and righteousness and love. And so he's going to be perfectly fair and true. And he will allow the text tells us sin to, to uh, affect the generations to come. That sin and guilt is, is a family thing. It's in our hearts. And, and God is going to deal with that. He's going to do the right thing towards those that, that reject his love, towards those that fail to trust his kindness, that fail to come to him. But his goodness and his mercy reaches farther still. We can look at the effect that sin has on even our own families and realize, you know what? As a father, or maybe you're looking to your father and saying, they messed up. And I've paid, I'm paying for it to some degree. I'm a lot more like my father or my grandfather or my uncle than I want to be. But know that his mercy reaches to all generations. God is just because he's going to, to deal with sin, but he offers all the opportunity to receive his grace. His mercy and love are really what ought to jump out at us in this passage. I know some, some, some of us, we're hardwired to look to that Oh, he's just. He's holy. We need to see the emphasis here is on the mercy of God. And his justice, we can't do without it. It forms the backdrop for us to see the greatness of his mercy. 
So he doesn't have to. But that's his heart towards his people. And all he requires is that we would come and receive his mercy and grace. One without the other lessens the goodness of God. If we say God is just and that's all we talk about. We're lessening his mercy. And it goes the same way when we only talk about his love, but fail to see that he does punish sin. But I wonder if we really look at the emphasis here that God is good, that he's generous, and yes, he's fair. If, if we truly know and grasp and think about the love of God enough. When Paul prays for the Ephesian church, he doesn't say, you know God's love, that's it. But he prays that they would know the vast extent of his love, the, the height, the depth, the length, the breadth of it. That we would see his love is as limitless as he is. And that his love is so glorious, it's not just given to us in word. God doesn't just declare this before his servants. He lived it out in every way. And so what we see here in God's word, we see lived out in Jesus Christ. In Exodus chapter 33, God tells Moses, you can't see me. No one can see me and live. But in the gospel of John chapter 1, the apostle tells us, we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God with us. He's living, breathing mercy and grace. And everything that was said about him in these pages of Exodus is lived out by the Lord, even to the point of death on a cross. In knowing Jesus, we are told that we have seen the Father because He and the Father are one. So I ask as you, you think about the character of God, His goodness, His mercy, His grace, do you know Jesus? Do you see Him? Do you believe His word, the testimony of His goodness, even though you do not now see him with your eyes. God has given us his word so that we would know Christ. And in knowing Christ, we would know the Father. The only way to truly see and know God 
is through Jesus. And we believe in what he has done, the love that he has shown, and his justice poured out at the cross so that we would see he is good. He is generous and fair and overflowing in compassion. When we see the goodness of God in Christ, we are forever changed. And as followers of Christ, those who have been made a new creation, we begin to live our lives and be shaped, the scripture says, not by our old way of life. These things that we are to put off, there is an active aspect to this but instead we are begin to be shaped by and to put on his goodness as we are renewed in our minds and remember who Christ is we can see this theme in, in Exodus chapter 34, because God's character is immediately linked to his law. And God gives a recap of much of the law that he has already declared. So that we would see that godliness flows out of the knowledge of God. You cannot live a godly life if you don't know him. And if you don't know his ways. Knowing God and following him are connected. Seeing God's glory is connected to reflecting his glory. And this isn't merely an intellectual thing. Because you and I can know God says in his word in Exodus Chapter 33, verse 19. Uh, My goodness shall pass before you. So God's glory means his goodness. And he is good. And he's always good. And all the time God is good. And he, he, his, he's slow to anger. And he's abounding in love. We can say that. But the one who knows God. Who's been changed by him. Who believes in Christ. Is changed. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, we're told in Exodus 34, verse 29, Moses came down with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and the people of Israel saw Moses and the skin of his face, behold, it shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to, to, them, uh, to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterwards, all the people uh, came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken to him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. When Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. 
And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses and the skin of Moses' face was shining and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with them. So here's this wonderful, glorious picture. Moses' face literally shines with with the glory of God. You could tell that he was with God. And the people, they didn't have the same friendship with God, the same love for him in their hearts. And they, they found it very hard to see his face. Moses' shining face reflected the glory of God. They could see that he knew God. And in an even greater way, the New Testament teaches that those who see God's glory through Christ in Jesus, that we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And read about that in 2 Corinthians chapters 3 and 4, both of those chapters. And over and over, the New Testament takes what was glorious and good and awesome in the first covenant. Moses shines with the glory of God, but the people, they couldn't see. But in the new covenant, we see its fulfillment in Jesus. That because Jesus took our place upon the cross, that he is our high priest who mediates for us in heaven and intercedes for us, we can enter the presence of God. And know him. We can know this God who is good. Through Jesus. We can know this God. In his word. And be changed. When God enables us to see his goodness. Through his spirit. We are changed. And it's not all in one instant. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're told that it is from one degree of glory to another. So it's, it's a, a process that God wants to work in your lives to show you himself and that you would grow in dependence on him, in love for him, and begin to reflect who he is more and more in your life. Little by little, the Spirit of God transforms our lives as we gaze upon Him and see what does God say about Himself. It's a journey. But know this, those that turn to the Lord, that see the glory of God will become like him. Are you willing to turn to the Lord 
to recognize that only he can change your life. Moses didn't muster up enough of his own righteousness to get close to God. He came because God showed grace, favor, our passage tells us, towards him. Because Moses came to God, God revealed himself, and he reveals his grace, and he astonishes us with himself. If you want to know God, if you want to see God, then search the scriptures to learn about what he says about himself. Don't settle just for what you think God might be like. Or be content with just a little bit of God. Get to know what the scriptures have to say about the surprising goodness of God. And look to Jesus Christ, who reveals the Father and reveals His grace and His truth in our lives. There's no formula for getting to the place where we see God more and more except to to go to Him and to continue to seek Him and to be hungry for Him as Moses was, to hunger and thirst to see God and to know His love. And you know what? Life is going to be hard some days. And you're going to be tempted to look to something that you can see, something that fits your understanding or or fits with your desires. But in those times, I would encourage you to look instead to God to what he shows us about himself. To know that you can come to him as a friend through Jesus Christ and learn of him. That you can taste and see his goodness. He invites us all. His invitation is there that we would come, taste and see his goodness, and be forever changed.